Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Father, we love you. Um, we just thank you for all you're doing. We just bless this house. We bless our ministry leaders, those teachers, those that are just allowing you to pour through them tonight, God, that you just anoint them. Uh, use them for your glory. Those that are receiving, God, just let their hearts be open. We just pray for the spirit of revelation to fall on this house, Lord. You just open up our spiritual eyes and ears and hearts to see and hear and encounter what you what you want us to. I thank you for you have us at. And um, God, just this Sermon on the Mount, this message that you spoke, the reality in it, the revelation that's in it, I don't know that we'll ever fully unfold it all until we see you face to face. So may we just continue to dive in and learn and grow every day. And um, thank you, Jesus. You know exactly what we need. When we open up your word, there's so many topics, so many scriptures, so many places to go to. But I'm extremely confident that you've put on the table for this house in this moment what we need is your body. And so we just thank you for giving us what we need. Again, Lord, I just pray that we just be attentive. Um, We come from busyness today. You know that. People are working, uh, working at home, working in their jobs, running, different things. We come in. And um, so, Lord, let us in this moment, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, um, bring our spirit in alignment with you. Silence everything else that's been going on, what's going to happen even after church maybe. And let us truly, truly pull up to the table and just receive what you have for us. Let Let it mark our hearts. Let it equip us. Let it strengthen us, let it encourage us, and let it convict us, and let it correct us where we need correcting. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how is everyone doing? Good? Amen? Officer Forreston, you pull anyone over today? Because I flat flew through town what ago. That's, that's what I was saying. Amen. Grab your Bible, turn to Matthew 5. I'm not going to ask you who's been reading every day. Thank you. But if you have, you've been blessed by it. I can promise you that without even asking you. If you haven't, it's okay. But I'm going to challenge you tonight. So now tonight is your night to start. But God knows us as a family. He knows where we're at as a house, as a church, as a body. Um, I'd never been more any more clear than I was when the Lord began to speak to me about these messages uh, three or four weeks ago. And the Lord laid it upon my heart that we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. So it's three chapters. And I just started digging, and I was reading every day, every day, multiple times a day. And I'm still reading. I'm still learning something. Every time I dig into it, it's like another layer comes off of it. And so I challenged our church body a couple weeks ago on October 1st or 2nd or whatever that it was, that I feel like the Lord wanted us to read uh, the Sermon on the Mount once a day through October, so for 30 days. And so... What's today? The 10th, 11th, 10th, 11th? So it's okay. You can jump in now. But I'll tell you this. Open up to Matthew chapter 5 and close your eyes and bow your head and pray. And ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the heart of the Lord to you in it. Ask him. Ask, ask him for the spirit of revelation to open up your minds and see beyond the surface of what you read before. And probably most importantly, or as importantly, ask the Holy Spirit 
to reveal to you as you're reading through it, where in your life do you need to come in alignment with Jesus' sermon on the mount? Because nearly everything that we go through in this whole Bible can, in some form or fashion, be linked into his message there in those three chapters. I'm just telling you, it is so powerful. So I just encourage you to do that as your pastor. We're diving in tonight. Um, If you haven't been here, when I preached on it on a couple Sundays ago or last Wednesday, um, I don't have time to recap so go back and listen to it. There was a Sunday, two Sundays ago, was Sermon on the Mount Part 1, or Sermon on the Mount, I don't know. And then last Wednesday was Sermon on the Mount Part 1, and I started with the beginning and the Beatitudes, and we talked about being poor in spirit, uh, blessed are those who mourn, and those who are meek, those three things. They're very important, all of them. I wouldn't put any one above the other of the eight, but I would say I do believe that being poor in spirit is listed first for a reason, reason, because when you're poor in spirit, all the other seven will make sense. So if you missed last Wednesday, I encourage you to go listen to the line. It's only an hour. Get all this in you. Stay caught up with this. But that's where we're at. Um, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, and... Um, We covered those first three. Let's just read it real quick, would you, with me? Matthew chapter 5, start with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We talked about what mourning meant. Uh, It's not grief for, like, physical loss and that type of thing. It's spiritual mourning. Uh, Even though God God is with us and he gives us this compassion and stuff to grieve for a loss, but that's not what that's talking about. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. That's a promise. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And then blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for righteousness' sake. Not for their own sake. We get that mixed up sometimes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. So there we have that. We're going to dig into some things coming up in the upcoming weeks. I'm going to be dealing with this for six weeks. Last week was the first week. This is the second week. So we've got four more weeks. I'm going to do two two Beatitudes, I think, tonight. uh, And then three next week. And then we'll... We'll spend the remainder of our six weeks breaking down the rest of the of the two and a half chapters there. So that's where we're at. Everybody good? Amen. So that was quick, but I don't have time to back up. So go back and listen. I wanna I wanna I wanna keep digging forward each week. Um, so this Sermon on the Mount is all about pursuing a kingdom lifestyle, right? And that's what it's about. Not just being saved, right, and getting to heaven. It's about what does it look like for you and I pursuing and living out the lifestyle that Jesus paid for us to have and ultimately receiving the promises that he had for us, right? Because all of these Beatitudes say, blessed are those who, and then there's a reward or a promise, okay? And so this is the this is his blueprint for us living in the fullness of him. We need to grab a hold of it. And so we're taking time in doing that. So, again, I covered the first three last week. I'm, I'm, I'm diving right in now. Number four, the fourth Beatitude was in verse six. And it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then this reality or this promise, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. So this is really, uh, it's, it's so good. And it's so challenging uh, at the same time. But can we just agree that we have been called by Jesus to press into God? Not just to be saved, but to press into God. So whether you came into the kingdom last week or last month, or whether you came into the kingdom 30 years ago, that. That calling never stops. 
We never are called to stop pressing into God. Because we grow from precept upon precept, from encounter to encounter, from experience to experience. Like we'll never grasp the fullness until we truly see Him face to face. So while we're here, we have this beautiful promise, right, that we'll be filled no matter where we're at in our journey, whether we're 20 or whether we're 102, to continue hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So we know we're called to press into God. Now, with that being said, I've had people throughout our ministry, um, throughout the years, um, you know, say things like, you people are, you're just radical, like, they do not understand why we fast in January for 21 days. It makes no sense. Um, when I preach or my wife preach or Pastor Jason or Jim at times, and, and there's just this urgency and calling for us to continue to press in closer and closer and closer and closer to God. It's like, I can't even tell you over the 20-something years of ministry that I've been involved in this, the, you know, the people that have questioned that and, 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 and made this statement. But, and then they'll say something like, I just really don't, um, I really don't agree, and I really don't, I really don't like this whole pressing in thing. Um, I asked Jesus to save me. I love him. I read my Bible every day, whatever my devotional time is, and this and that, and you know, I'm good, and all I can say is, is it's Jesus' instruction. doesn't matter what you like or what you don't like or what I like or don't like. It's, this is his roadmap to living a kingdom lifestyle and not just getting to heaven by the seat of your pants which is what so many people in the kingdom try to do. Come on, guys. I don't know about you, but that's, that's not my heart as a pastor. I'm a, you may be in the wrong house if that's you. Because me and my wife and leadership here, as long as we're breathing and there's breath in line, we're going to press you to go deeper. Every time you hear us speak, we're going to press you to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper deeper in your, in your presence with the king of glory because it's his word. It's the fourth beatitude. Amen? So we understand the scripture that says, you know, praise God, receiving that grace of God unto salvation by faith. But then it's responding to that great gift by pressing into experiencing more of him. And that's why Jesus in his sermon here, as the multitude was, was gathering around him, as he spoke out here in verse 6, he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. So it's, it's pressing into God because you're, you're not going to have the breakthrough of righteousness that you need, that you desire, that he desires for you without connecting with the king of righteousness. So he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. One, because he knows exactly what we're going to need and he knows exactly where we can get it at. So it's hunger and thirst for righteousness. The king of righteousness is Jesus. So as we hunger and thirst for him, we're going to obtain that righteousness. Amen? It's God's heart for us. And then, and then, and then I just think about this sometimes, of, of living out this kingdom lifestyle. I want that for myself, right? Like I just, I want that for me as, as his son. Just in my relationship with the Lord, I want that. But you know what, I don't know about you, but I look way beyond that. Because I, I, I want to be filled, not just for me, but I want to be filled with my marriage. Because I know the more that I'm filled with him, the more it's going to impact my marriage. And I want to be filled with him because I know the more that I am, the more it's going to impact my children. They're going to encounter God's glory through my life. And they're not just going to, they're not just going to hear about him from me, but they're going to experience him through me. Come on, man. So this call to press in, it's not just about you. And it is. It's about your relationship. But it's about everything that he wants to do in you and through you. It's about, it's about your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren. It's about your city. I don't know about you, man, but I'm pressing in for my nation. And I'm pressing in for his kingdom all over the earth. 
Like, you got to see yourself as being a part of that, and that's what will help drive you in even more to pressing into Him, amen, and pursuing that hunger and that righteousness. Okay, can I just say this? I could simplify this whole thing with this statement. If you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, what it says is, is that he responds to your response. That is so simple, and yet it's so absolutely deep. You could take that in every realm of the kingdom. When you come in on Sundays to worship, he's responding to your response. When you're sitting there reading the Word and you're kind of distracted, it's not my home run sermon. Maybe it's just a single or maybe it's a foul ball. I don't even know. Probably more foul balls than home runs. But he's going to respond to your response. When you pull up to that table, I promise you, whether I hit a foul ball or a single or a double, he's going to respond to you. And you're going to receive what he has for you. This is such a powerful kingdom principle that we can grab a hold of that he responds to our response. Our hunger and our thirst as we're leaning into him. I've been in places before where maybe the worship wasn't great. Maybe the sermon wasn't the best. Maybe I didn't even remember what the preacher preached on. But I went there and I went there with such a hunger to experience and encounter God and I was so hungry and so thirsty that somewhere in that place of me putting myself in his presence with that desire, the Holy Holy Spirit spoke to me and ministered to me, and I walked out of that place completely full because he responds to my response. Is that good? Amen. Everybody okay? All right. I don't know if I believe you, but. (laughs) We can be spiritually dull or we can be spiritually vibrant. If, if you remember right, in the sermon that I preached a couple weeks ago on this, just the kind of the opening of it, that word blessed means vibrant. So spiritually vibrant, full, full of life are those who. Well, the opposite of that is to be spiritually dull. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be dull. I don't want to be dry. I don't want to just be hanging on, right, by a thread. I want to be vibrant. And how many of you know that our world doesn't need a dull church, they need a vibrant church? And the Lord said, here's the pathway to a vibrant church. I, I cannot emphasize enough to you guys how important these eight Beatitudes are. I know we learned them in Sunday school as children, most of us. We've heard them so many times. But I'm telling you, I've read this book from front to back over and over and over and over, and I've read this so many times. But, man, right now the Lord has us, and I'm reading this, and it's as as though I've hardly never read it before. And the heart, the heart and the intimacy and the calling of the Lord for us to step into this is so powerful. Amen? So praise you, Jesus. Jesus said, blessed, vibrant are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they they shall be filled. They shall be filled. I don't know about you, but unintentionally, I've made promises before that I wasn't able to fulfill. Anybody else? I try not to do that anymore because God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But I'm a people pleaser and I love to serve. I love to help anyone that I can. And I know within that realm, there's been times where I've, I've, I've said that I could or I wanted to and I wasn't able to, but I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus said, if you do this and I'll do that, it's already in the bank. Come on. So he's saying to you, if you'll ask me, sometimes I've got to stop. So Mike, how do you get spiritually hungry? How do you get hungry? I'm just thinking about this. I'm like, he says, I'll be filled if I hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I'm like, well, how do I get hungry? Well, first of all, for me to eat what I need to be eating that truly nourishes me, 
I have to stop it with the Doritos and the Mountain Dew and the Snickers. Because when I eat that stuff, it fills me up real fast. <laughs> and it, I was going to say it's good, but I shouldn't say that. My, my flesh likes it. But when I'm eating what I shouldn't be eating, it makes me feel full. But yet my spirit and my flesh and my body is craving what it needs. So if we want to get spiritually hungry, hungry and thirst for righteousness, we've got to stop, recognize what you're filling yourself up with that's not righteous. Amen. There you go. You're welcome. Thank you, God. And then, I'm kind of getting off my notes. I don't really have time to do that, but I just decided, Mike, I'm not going to get in a hurry. And then I've wanted to be hungry before, but I really couldn't create that hunger on my own. Anybody else ever been there before? I've heard people say, I'm like, so I'm like, mm, hunger, 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 but I, w- I didn't feel it. But it, when I asked him to stir up hunger inside of me, and I invite the Holy Spirit to stir up hunger and thirst for his righteousness greater than any appetite that my flesh might be having, I'm telling you, it begins to arise And then as you begin to feed that hunger and that thirst, it just increases. But I'm going to give you a warning. If you will feed the hunger and thirst of your flesh, it will increase also. Okay? All right. So I'm just going to drop that right there and not go any further because I just don't know how well that settled. But blessed, vibrant are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So good. Again, this is his blueprint for us to live a kingdom lifestyle. So one of the examples that I thought about was Paul. How many of you love Paul? Wasn't Paul awesome? I love Paul. Uh, Paul is writing in Philippians, but what really makes us powerful is one just to know all that he had written and all that God had done through his life. But here he's writing in Philippians, and so by Philippians, Paul, right here, he is, he's towards the very end of his life, and he knows it. Um, so here's a mature apostle that God had used in miraculous ways, right? Um, in prison, <laughs> under persecution, at the end of his life, And he's writing about the pursuit of righteousness. The pursuit of righteousness. And I'm I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to quote it, actually, I think, because we're going to go somewhere else. But this is what he says in, uh, in in that context in Philippians 3 and 12. Paul says, he says this, beaten in prison, towards the end of his life, after all that God had done through him. And then he says, it's not that I have already attained or that I'm already perfected, but Paul, in that place in his life, in that place in his ministry, man, he was seasoned, guys. And he says, I've still not obtained it all. I'm not perfected. But this is what he said. He says, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. And I think, wow, that is absolutely powerful. In other words, Paul's saying there's more. Think about it, man. People laid along the side of the road, right, just, just so if his shadow was cast on them, they could be healed. 
Talk about a man that walked in the anointing. Think about all the, the books, how God spoke to him and that he read. The encounters, the life-changing experiences that he had with the Lord and all these different things. And now he's towards the end of his life and his ministry. And he's seen the glory of heaven on earth in so many ways. He's encountered God. And it would be so easy to say, man, I've, I've reached it, Clay. I've been there. I, I've, I've seen so saved. I've laid hands on them. They've been healed and delivered. I've given to the poor. I've went on my missionary adventures. Man, I've done it. God is happy with me. He's going to be satisfied with me. All is good. Now I can just chill, right? And and every and, and all is going to be good. Paul's like, I'm going to tell you what, if, if until there's not one breath inside of me, there's more of him for me to encounter. How many Wednesday nights have you set in in your life? It used to make me so mad when I was a kid and a teenager. Anybody else? Robin says no. You were way more holy than I was. Because it just made me mad. Because all my friends are playing football, and I'm just a kid, and maybe 12, and and. And it was not optional. So I'm like, well, all right, then I'm going to have an attitude about it. I am not wearing Dockers in a collared shirt. I can promise you that. And then guess what I had to wear to church? Couldn't wear blue jeans. (laughs) Maybe another night on that subject. But I, I went... And I went, and I went, and I went. God's word never returns void. Just as he sends forth his word as water and rain from heaven, and it descends on the earth, shall it fulfill its purpose. And then in the last 15, 20 years in ministry, I've I've preached, I've taught, I've sat, I've listened. I've read through the whole Bible. I don't even know how many times. It'd be easy, Martha, after working all day and serving the Lord as long as you have and loving God the way that you have to say, man, I don't, no really big reason for me to go tonight. I mean, I've heard it all. I've read it all. Come on, somebody. Don't look at me like I'm the only one that's felt this way before. And I just want to say, man, honestly, I don't, I don't know that we'll ever even fully scratch the surface of what he has for us. There are not enough Wednesday nights for us to gather together, but I praise God for everyone that we have, because I know everyone that we have together, we're getting a little closer, Miss Robin. Me with my bad attitude and yours, yours with your good attitude. Did you have to dress up? Well, see, that was my problem then. If, if I could have just wore jeans, then it would all been good. I would have been closer to God. Isn't this amazing to you what Paul says, though? Have you ever really thought about it and put it in context? And knowing that he was at the very end of his life, and knowing that he was in prison and he had been persecuted after serving God, you're not supposed to be persecuted when you're serving the Lord, people. Well, I say that, but we're going to get to that here in one of the Beatitudes. But he says, I want it all. I want, I want it. I just made a side note in my notes, and I just said, I want to run with people like Paul. Like on the weekends, on Friday nights, or Saturdays when other people are maybe compromising, I just kind of want to lock arms with people that want to say, I just want to uncover a little bit more of his glory. I just want to, what can we do to get closer to him? Because there's, over here, with Crystal, I should have done that. Lord, forgive me. How much can I do and get away with and still be okay? You see what I'm saying? Like, um, there's some gray areas. There's no really no gray areas, but we want gray areas in the Scripture. I'm just saying, blessed 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, even if they've got to do it by themselves. Even if they're all alone on Friday night and everyone else is away. Because let me tell you something. You will be filled. You'll be filled with something over there, but it won't be with the glory of God. It'll be temporary, but it won't be satisfying. It'll just make you... You, you know you know what's wrong with with the with the with the um, with my Doritos and my Mountain Dew and my Snickers. Once it wears off, it, I'm just it just makes you hungrier. It really doesn't fully satisfy. But he satisfies. I gotta go. Stop distracting me, everybody. I've got stuff to do right here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen. Um, okay. You know, just to get on hunger, I'm, I'm wrapping this one up. We're going to jump to the next one. But, you know, hunger is one of the most important signs of life. Like when people are near the end of their life, one of the, one of the most common signs is, is they begin to lose their appetite. It's true. One of the most common signs of the loss of life is when people lose their appetite. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about this spiritually. With people that you've encountered in the church, people that you've ran with, people that you've walked with, not in a judgmental way, but in a way of, of identifying and recognizing this. But when people begin to lose their appetite, it's a sign of loss of life spiritual life. I'm helping y'all out. Remember, we're seeking righteousness. To obtain righteousness, we have to seek the one who is righteous. So we're hungering and we're thirsting for him. We're hungering and thirsting for his presence. It's not just a matter of hungering and thirsting to obey a bunch of laws or rules or to be good or to be that, because ultimately without him, you can't do those things. So it's, I just want to be close to Jesus, and I know the, the closer that I get to him and the more that I seek him, the more everything in my life will come in alignment. And my desires and everything else begin to change. My hunger, my taste, everything begins to change. Amen? I remember when I, when I worked out back in the day before I hurt my knees, and I was running and I was exercising and doing all that stuff. I wouldn't recommend it. But when I was doing all that stuff and my body was getting physically fit, it desired good stuff. Confused me. It wanted water and healthy food and all of this stuff. And I'm just telling you, the more that you pursue him and the more you come in alignment with him, the more your desires will begin to change to his desires and to his heart. Amen? Pursue, pursue the one that is righteous. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, I'm going to finish this with this one and then, and then uh, move forward real quick. Let me just say this real quick. Hungerless, passionless Christianity is not God's plan for you. Never let it be normal. Never let it be normal. If you begin to feel that, you start pressing in, and you ask him, you ask the Holy Spirit to stir up hunger and thirst. You let your flesh begin to die. You begin to really ask him to reveal in your heart what you're being filled up with. Because you're not hunger and thirst for him, that means you're filled up with something else. So what is it? What's occupying his space in you? But never let passionless, heartless, uh, hungerless Christianity be, be normal in your life. Amen? Okay, um, so the next one, number five. Is that good? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who do shall be filled. Number five is blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy in 23 minutes. I'll try to stay more focused on this one. This one doesn't feel good. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. He's talking 
he's talking here in Matthew 5, he's talking to people who have already received mercy of being born again. They've received the mercy into salvation. They've received that by faith, the grace. So he's talking to believers. He's talking about, he's talking to citizens of the kingdom, just like people like us that all gathered around because right before this sermon, he was going around, he was healing people, saving people, delivering people. They all heard about it. They all gathered around. He went up the mountain, and then he preached chapter 5, verse Chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And the, and the Beatitudes are the first, then he releases. And the, and the fifth one of those is this one, be merciful. So he's talking, to, he's talking to believers, citizens of heaven. He's saying to them, he's saying to them, there's a greater experience of mercy for you in everyday life. It's yours. You can increase in his mercy. The level of mercy in your life, in your marriage, how you walk through things, how you handle things, it can increase in your life. This is what he's saying. It's why because he's telling believers, they've already received the mercy unto salvation to become born again for the forgiveness of their sins. So he's saying it's yours. But then he says this, but then he says, but it's contingent upon you walking out mercy. So, Kenny, there's a greater level of mercy for me to for him to pour upon you in your life as a born-again believer, but it's all going to be contingent upon how you release and show mercy to my people around you. Isn't that powerful? So let me say this real quick. There's a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding on, about mercy. Um, I'm just going to hit the main one because some people reduce some people reduce mercy to the idea that God doesn't care about our sins. Love is love. God's word is God's word. It's not changed. So you don't reduce mercy to the idea that God doesn't care about sin. So there's a whole realm and spectrum out there of false grace message and message of false mercy that, hey, God understands the weakness of flesh and your struggles in life and your upbringing and what you've been through. And God, God understands that you just continue to cling on to that sin or that addiction. And man, isn't, isn't that, isn't that a, like a smack in the face to what our Savior did on the cross to die for that sin? So when we begin to begin to change what we think the Word says to justify today's culture, Think about what we're doing to what Jesus, we're we're crucifying Jesus more. This is where this comes in, because we've got to understand mercy, but we've got to understand mercy not not at the cost of, 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 of holding the truth of God's word. So this is just kind of where, where it kind of can kind of get off just a little bit. Uh, the call to mercy isn't the call to be casual about sin. We, we understand that's not what Jesus was saying. So in, in our receiving and giving of mercy, we always present it with the view of strengthening people's resolve to walk in righteousness. So if I've got to walk with Crystal through something in her life, or her with me, or me with Mike, I'm going to come alongside of him as my brother, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it with meekness, as, as the words already said. I'm going to do it with love. But I'm going to do it, Mike, not to be like, oh, man, God understands. He understands what happened when you were a child or what, what happened in your marriage or this or that. I'm going to do it in a way that's going to point you to the Word of God. And the end result is going to be you lining up with the Scripture, come on, and being completely healed and set free and walking in righteousness. But I can do that. I can do that and show mercy in it. Because we'll show the in, the other side of this later. I don't know that anyone can be any meanier sometimes than the church can be. 
People can find a whole lot more comfort going back to the bar whenever they failed than they do coming into the church and repenting. Like, why don't they come here? Because they probably know how they're going to be treated whenever they confess they had a horrible week and they opened up their, 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 their they just opened themselves up and fell and this happened and they hate it and they're feeling guilt and shame. And the only place they knew to come where they wanted to come really was to come into the church and the body of Christ. But yet there's not really a safe place for them to come and confess it because we've not allowed it to become a place of vulnerability for people to be authentic. And then the reality is, you may not have sinned their sin, but you sinned. <laughs> so what should happen is every seat in this church should be emptied, and every one of us should be around that man or that woman crying out to God for them. They should walk out of here soaking wet with our tears. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying. Come on, man. How many of you want this to be an authentic place of worship? I feel like we got this. I feel like most of us have all experienced that in some way. And we're game. But I'm going to tell you where my heart's at right now. My heart is for those teenagers up in that room right now. We've told them, you do this. That sin, this is what happens. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. But we've not really taught them the true mercy of God and the love of God. Come on, man. And, 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 and they, 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 they've heard us say what not to do, but we've not told them what we've done. If this wasn't so expensive, I would drop it right now. Mic drop. <laughs> Sometimes them hearing our confession and repentance and what the Lord brought us out of helps them live in the proper reality that they might stumble along this path a little bit. And the way for them to get up is through repentance and not hiding, but they're hiding because we've not allowed a safe place for them to repent. Clay, this is so good. Lord, help us. <laughs> I'm pastoring this church, Kenny, but Kenny, I'm, I'm, I, mean, I may need a safe place to go. Is there a safe place for me to go? Careful. Pastors don't struggle. The truth is they do struggle. That's why more than 50% of them are leaving their churches or more. Because they didn't have a safe place to go. While they're fighting the same demons and same devil that you guys are. But for them to be pastoral, they're not supposed to have any of that stuff happen. This is so good. I didn't plan on any of this. I'm going to go back and listen to this tonight. When I go home, I'm just going to put it on YouTube. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. Probably cry. Because I'm an emotional guy. I just love the heart of God because as I'm talking to you, I'm just feeling his heart. Do you realize he's just loving us right now? All this is the love of God. This is the love of God saying, I have mercy for you. This is the love of God saying, I've got mercy for you. This is just the love of God saying, I am a merciful God. I am so merciful. You can come to me and I'm safe. When you're hurt, you can come to me and you're safe. When you're feeling tempted, you can come to me and safe. Come to me when you're tempted before you give in to the temptation. I'm safe. And then he says, for us to be merciful, for we shall receive mercy. So he's saying, you know what? I'm enlisting you, Robin. I'm enlisting you. I'm anointing you. I'm going to cover you with my glory. I'm going to cover you with my love. And I want you to walk in a great level of mercy. Because when my, when my daughters, when my daughters see you, then I want you to know that they got a place where they can come and receive great mercy. They need, they need a place where they can come and they can be authentic and they can tell you how they feel about their marriage. They can come and tell you about some of the temptations and thoughts that they're having in their minds that they know are wrong and that you can help carry them and pray for them and release those to you. It's mercy. Isn't that good?
I'm crying, and so I can't see. And so I don't even know where I'm at. Don't you just love him? Don't you just love him that he loves us so much? This wasn't a this wasn't a list of things to do that was unaccomplishable. Was that a word? <laughs> this was this was just his design for us to live in the fullness of him and for him to release himself out of us. That's what this is. It's obtainable. It's obtainable. Blessed are the merciful, so they shall receive mercy. I'm going to finish this thing out because I'm running out of time and I keep jumping ship. Where am I at? Um, I did that. I did that. I did that. Okay. In our receiving and giving mercy, we always present it with the view of strengthening people, people's resolve to walk in righteousness. Okay, that's where I left off at. So we can receive mercy, but there's an end go in mind when when God when God gives mercy and it's that we would renounce our sin and walk in the fear of the Lord. Amen. That's a powerful statement. I'm gonna Yes, God, help us there. It's that we would renounce this sin and walk in the fear of the Lord. So I, I love this scripture here in lamentation in chapter 3 in verse uh, 22 and 23 it says through the lord's mercies we are not consumed through the lord's mercies we're not consumed <laughs> without the lord's mercies you would be consumed consumed but through the lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not they are his mercies new every morning great is your faithfulness isn't that awesome i love that verse lamentations 3 22 and 23 so god will god will offer us mercy every single day to give us a new beginning every day however the purpose is that it would give us confidence to renounce our sin and walk in the fear of the lord and not stay in it again where a lot of people get this message wrong at on mercy or on grace is that he is so merciful and so gracious i can start off well in the morning when i wake up before my feet hit the ground maybe and then live how I want throughout the day, and then go to bed and maybe pray before I go to bed, but I can wake up this morning as mercy's new every day. Man, that, come on, man. He's, that's not his purpose. That's not how this thing works. His mercy is new every day so that you can grab a hold of it, live a changed life, and grow in righteousness and come out of your sin. And live rightly and pleasing to him in all we do, not stay in it. Mercy is to get you out of it, not to stay in it. Good? All right. Let me say this real quick. I'm going to kind of go a little fast. This is going to be kind of a little, uh, little machine gun action going on here. So right quick, if you're taking notes, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to state this, that God never suspends one attribute to exercise another. So when we talk about mercy, I just kind of thought that was important to bring up. In other words, in John, in the Gospel of John in chapter 5, Jesus heals a man. And then he says, uh, go and sin no more, right? You guys have read it, okay? Uh, and then in, in, in John, uh, in chapter 8, Jesus forgives the immoral woman, right? So he forgives her, and then he says, I have forgiven you. I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. What, what, I want, what I want us to see in that is you had compassion, you had mercy, you got forgiveness. God is equally merciful as he is holy and righteous. So he doesn't suspend his mercy to show righteousness, and he doesn't suspend his righteousness to show mercy. It's important to understand that. He expresses them together. Because they're who he is. He gives us mercy that we would be emboldened and enables us then to walk in righteousness. What's my point? My point is 
that the popular view of mercy as disconnected from righteousness is not a biblical view. Amen? We need to step up. We need to share it. We need to proclaim it because and without this, people aren't going to walk in true freedom. Amen? Okay. The next thing I want to share with you before i got to close is uh, that just kind of stood out is helping people uh, uh, mercy, helping people feel accepted and valued by God. In other words, uh, this call to mercy, blessed are those who are merciful, they shall receive mercy. We're called to help people feel accepted and valued by God. That's mercy. Mercy is helping people in the end feel feel valued and feel accepted by God. However, it's not just that mercy isn't just that that God accepts them and values them, but but this is what I want you to get a hold of. The ministry of mercy is also to convince people that you accept and value them. That the body of Christ accepts and values them. That's what will open up this altar for authenticity. Amen. That's what mercy is about. Now, this is the most, this is the most challenging to us when it involves uh, showing mercy. Uh, the most challenging part of that involves people uh, mistreating us. That's when mercy becomes per, uh, close and personal, right? So, it, if I'm driving through Evansville and I'm driving down the Wood Expressway and I get to 41 right there at the overpass, there's always homeless people right there. I don't know them. They have not hurt me. They've not offended me. They've not disagreed with me. I don't know if they like me or don't like me. Showing mercy to them is not going to be difficult. You with me? I'm getting real for a minute. Showing, showing mercy when, when, this, when this gets most challenging is when it's up close and personal. That's when it becomes costly to our flesh. I'll tap into that in just a moment, maybe. We turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. I'll just read it to you if not. It's okay. But I do want to hit this real quick as I'm, as I'm trying to wrap up here. Can I do three pages in five minutes? <laughs> I can't even read Colossians chapter 3. Oh, go to verse 12. Sorry. Colossians 3 and 12, listen to this. This is about the character of the new man. But he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Forgiving people is not even negotiable. It's non-negotiable. doesn't even matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how much they impacted you. It's non-negotiable in the kingdom of God to the degree that we've been forgiven by him. Isn't that powerful? Think about that. So this is what we see. In this verse right here, that mercy is related to a tender spirit. A tender spirit. Tenderness. How many know we need tenderized? How many know in the scripture it says one of the signs of the end of time will be hardness of hearts? The very opposite of mercy you'll begin to see in the last days, and we're seeing it now because people are so hard and they're so selfish, right? And it's all about me, right? So, so, so mercy is the opposite, the opposite of that. It's related to a tender spirit. So it says, it says there's a tone about mercy. There's a tone about mercy. It's to be tender and not harsh. When, be, before I come to the Lord, I've always been pretty tender. I've never fought in my whole life. I had a guy hit me one time playing basketball, but he knew it was coming, and it really hurt my feelings, and it hurt my nose. But I couldn't hit him back because that's never been in me to do that. So I feel like I've always naturally be t been tender. But when I come to the Lord, I get filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole different level of tenderness on me now, right? And, and he, he's talking about that. This is part of what the, like there's a tone in it. Tender mercies, he, uh, Paul talks about here in Colossians 3, and not to be harsh. And then he goes on, he talks about uh, with that kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering. And how many of you know, this is a, we're called into long-suffering? The church doesn't do this very well. 
Long-suffering means that you have to suffer long through stuff. That means someone's going to bother you for a long time. They're probably not going to forgive you for a long time. They might talk about you for a long time. They might do this. And we're, you're called to be long-suffering. Suffer through that th- thing for a long time, showing tender mercy. <laughs> Let's all just pray right now. Let's just pray. I don't even know what else to do. Carry the ministry of reconciliation. I'm like, come on, Lord, help us. Isn't that powerful? Then in verse 13, Paul makes a, he makes it really personal, and he says, to bear with them, to bear with them. Forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. Like the people complaining about you, the person who thinks you're wrong, and they're talking about it, he says, bear with them and forgive. Be merciful. And then in verse 14, he, he wraps this up, this exhortation up, and he says, above everything, put on love. You know why? Because love covers all. I don't believe there's anything that love can't cover. I don't believe there's anything he can't forgive, and I don't believe there's anything that I shouldn't be able to forgive because I've got to forgive as he's forgiven That, therefore, then puts me in a place that there's no situation that I shouldn't be merciful in. Be merciful to your spouse. Shouldn't have said that. That made it way too close. Because, again, that guy at the intersection on 41 in the expressway. (laughs) But that guy in my living room, he really gets on my last nerve. <laughs> he hasn't picked up his stuff for days. I'm not finished on being merciful, but I got to because I'm going to finish the last three. But did I say enough to hopefully help you understand how merciful we've been called to be and how merciful that he's been to us and that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? And then I'm going to, um, I don't know how far we'll get next week, but I'm going to tr- start on the last three. My goal is to finish them, but. After preaching this right now, I just feel like praying for the Lord to help me have mercy. You guys good? Aren't you grateful that he knows just what we need? In the, his word's so good. I'm going to challenge you again from, from, from today forward to read Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 once a day, every day. And read it slow. Just walk through it. Just don't read it through it to get through it. Read it through to receive from it. And every day you're going to uncover more and more and more. This is the heart of the Father for you because he wants you living a kingdom lifestyle. Amen. I'll finish with this, but I just was kind of joking around about praying for mercy. But I'm actually being honest about that. When I read these eight Beatitudes, one thing that I begin to realize is that they're supernatural. There's a realm of these things that I can maybe tap into a tad bit on my own. But what this does is help me recognize even more how much I need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then as I hunger and thirst for righteousness and the one that is right, the king of righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto me. And the Holy Spirit will begin to empower you and equip you to begin to fulfill this lifestyle that Jesus has called us into. Not only called us into for him, but that he's got all these promises and blessed are those that do these things, man. Favor awaits you to walk in a kingdom lifestyle and not in your flesh. Amen. So, Lord, I love you. I thank you for tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for in some way and somehow using me a hot mess to deliver your word. I pray that you spoke through me in a way that pierced every heart in in some way, God, that you stirred them, that you drew them to you, that you helped them recognize your purpose and your plan for their life. I pray, God, that they see tonight, Lord, how much you love them, what you have for them, and that you and you alone can feel them. So may they truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. And secondly, God, you have been so merciful to us. Not only have you been merciful, but you are merciful. Your mercies are new every morning in us. So, God, help us, help us as your ambassadors to begin to live with mercy 
and be merciful in all that we do, to show tender mercies, God, and to begin to reflect your love and your glory for everyone around us. Let us be a safe place for you to show people how much you accept them and how much you love them, and at the same time, in love, bringing them and showing them what your word says, God because it's only the truth that sets them free. So, God, let us link those things together through the leadership of your Holy Spirit. Bless every individual, every family, every home represented. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time. 